We're going to continue with our series, and we've been talking about the things that keep us up at night, and we've really got into some really heavy uh, subjects. For example, we talked about overloading our schedules. We've got into issues like when the storms approach in life, how do you get through those storms? We talked about conflict. Last week, we even talked about the stress that we have with our families, and uh, today we're going to have a lot of fun. We're going to talk about money. Now, I know money doesn't keep any of you up at night, but... uh, a lot of sinners, it does keep them up at night. So anyway, maybe this will relate to some of you. Now, here's what's coming next week, and I want you to know, because this is really going to be exciting. We've been talking uh, the last few weeks, we're going to be talking for a few more weeks to come about these specific areas of life, things that keep us up. But how do we pull out of those uh, struggles in life? What, what is it that we can do uh, to reach out to God, and what's the peace that He can provide for us? And I truly believe that comes through prayer. That prayer is something that will just draw us closer to God, that He can provide a peace. So next week, believe it or not, we're going to do a pulpit swap with South Union Christian Church. Jimmy Kane is going to come over here, and they're getting the short end of the stick. I'm going to go preach over there. Now, their worship team is also going to come over here, and the service is going to be a little different next week. And really, there's going to be a foundation of prayer throughout the service, so it's a great opportunity to bring your friends Uh, But we want all of us here to experience what's that like to surrender to God in prayer. So that's next Sunday. So I just want to let you know that that's coming. And also I want you to know that most ministers do not like to talk about money. They just don't because most people don't want to hear you talk about money. And most ministers will tell you part of the problem is a lot of folks don't trust ministers. Can I have an amen? They, they look at ministers and are like, what are you doing talking about money? Because it's obvious if you look at me, well, I have a lot of money, okay? I mean, isn't it true? I mean, I drove up here in that bad boy PT Cruiser. I know most of you are like, that guy's got a lot of money, okay? But I want to tell you why this is so critical. It's critical because the Bible speaks so often about money because it's a priority in life. So we need to look at what does the Bible really seriously say about money. Now, here's a couple of uh, uh, illustrations here, a couple of pictures here, maybe remind you of money. Here's the first one here. I borrowed money, and they expect me to pay it back. How many of you have felt like that? Yeah. Here's the next one here. I kind of like this one. I keep telling them if they added a 2% stupidity tax, the national debt would be paid off in a matter of weeks. Yeah, that is absolutely true. Now, I want you to know that I, I love this. It says, debt is running out of money before you run out of month. That's what debt is. And that's what we're going to focus on this morning is debt. We're going to look at two biblical perspectives concerning debt. First of all, let's talk about how to get out of debt. And uh, this is a huge one. Turn over with me to Romans chapter 13. And we're just going to start off there with verse 8. Let no debt remain outstanding. Let's just pause there. Let no debt go outstanding. We live in a culture that it's hard to get out of debt. Now, I'm going to read these numbers off, and this hopefully will blow you away. And the number, the meter's still running, by the way. Uh, The last time I looked at this, it was uh, October 22nd, basically at 10 o'clock in the morning. It's our national debt. It is 18 trillion and a half, and that meter, again, is still running. It's depressing. 
So we look at a nation that is guilty of runaway spending. Would we all agree with that? And so we know about debt because we live in a nation that for some reason thinks that's the way to live is to keep running really the entire nation in debt. And sooner or later, something's going to break. Now, I'm not throwing out a panic. I'm just telling you, I truly believe you cannot continually run in debt. But let's get closer to home. The average American on their mortgage owes $155,000. The students that are coming out right now are averaging, owing $31,000 in student loans coming out. We know that we live in a world of debt. So how do we get out of it? So let me give you some practical advice. Number one, face the music. Proverbs 27, 17 says that iron sharpens iron. In other words, one of the most important things to do when you're in debt, and my guess is the majority of us in this room are in debt. Now, I could be wrong. Maybe all of you walked in here, and you don't owe a penny to anyone. I would like to meet you, and I would like to spend some time with you because I'm telling you that is such a hard place to be. But the very first thing is you have to face the music. Now, I'm going to go back to a late 80s, early 90s flashback, and I want to see if you remember this group. Their group was Millie Vanilli. How many remember Millie Vanilli? Hello. Yeah. Now, I don't know if you know their story. Pretty sad story. They had a couple of uh, huge hits. Uh, Girl, you know it's true. Blame it on the rain. I could break out in song and sing those for you, but I'm not. But if you remember the story, they... They just were huge, and then it broke that they were actually lip-syncing the whole time. So they were making these music videos, and how they pulled off concerts, I'll never know, but they just rose up the chart, and then all of a sudden it was broke that that wasn't even them singing. They were totally lip-syncing. They had to face the music. They took all the awards back, and then sadly, in 1998, Rob uh, Politis committed suicide. He just couldn't handle the embarrassment and the shame of having to face the music. Now, as hard as it is, that's what we have to do with our budgets. We have to sit down with somebody and say, I hate to do this, but I've got to face the music. I mean, I've got to face the numbers. And let me tell you, that's hard to do. Full disclosure, uh, my wife and I, uh, really, in all honesty, we don't spend a lot. We just have never spent a lot. But because we haven't spent a lot, we haven't lived by a budget. Our goal is to just keep our head above water, don't be reckless with our spending, buy used cars, all the things that they tell you to do. But about six or seven months ago, we sat down with a financial advisor, and to be honest with you, it was kind of nerve-wracking. Because when you see all of the numbers that go out and all the places that the money is going, and then you face the music, that's just not a fun meeting. Some of you have had those meetings. And you realize that once you get to that point, then you can build a plan. But until you face the music, you'll never get to that point. Proverbs 12, 15 says, seek wise counsel. All of us should be seeking counsel because of debt. Number two is simply this. Luke 14, 28 says, count the cost. In other words, whether you like it or not, you have to develop a budget. Now, that may seem very simple, but when I talk to a lot of folks, they'll tell you, We really don't have a strict budget. We just try to survive. But it's critical that we try to develop a budget. Now, let me have a raise of hands here because there's two groups of people here, and I feel sorry for both groups. First of all, if you're the bookkeeper, you're the one who does the budget, 
Would you raise your hand? Raise your hand. Raise them high. Yeah. Okay. Let me tell you, first of all, thank you. Okay. Thank you, because you're the ones who lose sleep. And let me just throw out a few randoms here. Those of you that keep the books, what bothers you about people who don't keep the books? Throw it out. Anything. What? They don't have much money they have. Good. What else? Anything else bother you about the people who don't keep the books? What's that? Yeah, that's a great way. To, when they're on the street, they're reckless. Okay, I like that. Okay. Absolutely. Now, raise your hand if you don't keep the books. Raise your hand. I love you people. Okay, now, here's the thing. We need to try to find one another because you got to have both. Now, we have to have those who keep the books. And you know what? What keeps them up at night is they see the numbers. They know the numbers. Those that just love to spend, they don't want to see the numbers. But you see, we got to get along, and we've got to come together. And really, the way you get along is you develop a budget. And i I got to tell you, again, is that a biblical thing to do? Absolutely, it's biblical, because we're accountable. Here's the number one thing that we need to realize. This is not our money. It was never our money. And if we truly believe this is God's money, think how that changes everything. Our entire perspective of how we spend the money changes. The reason we don't go into debt is because we realize it's not our money. We're here to manage the money that God gave us. So he's called us all to be responsible for that. And it starts with the budget. Number three is simply this, beware of credit cards. Proverbs 22.7 says, the rich, matter of fact, let's read this together if this scripture comes up, Proverbs. Now let's read this together. The rich rule over the poor and the borrower is slave to the lender. You know, I understand what people say, the Bible isn't relevant today. Are you kidding me? Read that. Isn't it interesting that our credit card is master card? Because that's the master. When you surrender to the credit card, life is not going anywhere fast. And we know that. And yet it's too easy. The average American is $8,000 in debt to the credit card which doesn't seem like a big deal, except for this trap. It's called the minimum payment. The minimum payment. You know, when I was in college, do you know the very first uh, piece of mail I got? You'd have thought it had been a letter from my mom. It was a credit card application. From the time you get into college, and even younger than that, more than anything else, they want to get a credit card in your hand. Let me tell you how the minimum payment works. It is a trap. Take $1,000. You owe the credit card uh, organization your friends, $1,000, and you're just going to make the minimum payment. Do you know how long it will take you to pay off $1,000? 153 months. If you just make the minimum payment. And by the way, you're going to pay another $1,115 on interest for that $1,000. Now, you might say, people are not that crazy. We are that crazy. Because it's so easy to use the plastic isn't it? It's just so easy. But we don't have to do that. We don't have to give in to everything that we want. We should start seriously praying, Lord, do I need this? Now, it's funny. This is more for grandparents that are here, but my mom used to do this. It was just the craziest thing. My mom would go to the store months out before Christmas, and it was called the layaway plan. Anybody remember layaway? You know how layaway works? You don't have the money today, 
So you want to purchase something. So my mom would take a few dollars, you know, every week or every month, and she'd move that towards what she wanted to purchase. Because her thing was, I am not going to put that on a card. I'm actually going to use cash. And I remember saying, Mom, you're so old-fashioned. She should have ran for president. <laughs> because what's scary is we have so gotten away from really strong biblical principles in this regard that we've got ourselves in trouble. Matter of fact, if you open up your wallets, I don't know if you're aware of this. It's an interesting thing I found out the other day. I don't know another country in the world that has this. It's on all the United States currency. And did you know there's actually a warning on every piece of currency? Did you know that? You know what the warning is? It's funny. In God, we trust. There it is. There's a warning label on every bill. And the warning is, do you really trust God? I mean, do you seriously trust God to the point you're applying biblical principles to how you spend your money and how you use your money? And see, a lot of folks would say, of course I'm applying biblical principles. Really. Because it's not a biblical principle to run yourself so into debt that honestly, it's beyond not sleeping, you are suffocating. But let's be honest, cash hurts. Would you agree with me? Cash hurts. So let me give you some practical. If one of the things that Marie and I are working on, it's, you know this, it's more me, is uh, Ramsey has a system where you're, you're putting your, your money towards uh, a lot of items in envelopes. Maybe some of you use the envelope system, even to what you, you'd call entertainment or blow money, and you throw money in the envelope. So when you go out, you pull money, cash, out of the envelope, and then that's what you spend. So, for example, let's say you don't use a credit card, you only use cash, and you go to Starbucks. Now, I know none of you ever go to Starbucks. Maybe I'm the only one. When you're using your cash to pay for Starbucks, eventually, you know what's going to happen? It's no longer Starbucks. It's five bucks. Because every time you reach out, you're like, oh, my land. And you know what? That kind of hurts. Does plastic hurt? No, it doesn't hurt at all. Now, if you really want to take this to where it hurts the most, McDonald's. McDonald's, uh, interestingly, turned this in. When they use cash only, the average transaction was $4.50. Do you remember when they implemented the credit card system, the swipe? It's gone up to $7. Supersize me, because it's plastic, okay? Now, that seems like such a simple thing, but what if that actually becomes something that, let's say we left here this morning, we're like, I can't, I can't make everything turn into cash, but what if I took some of the areas of my life and I converted that to cash, could I actually begin to save money? They say, and I agree with this, they've done all these surveys, you will save 18% a year for one full year, 18% every year more by using cash on just certain items, not your entire life, just saying just entertainment and just blow money and a few categories that if you use cash, we would all save 18%. Now think about that. That is a lot of money to get out of debt. But I got to be honest with you, there's something to me that's amazing. I want you to go back to Romans 13 as we talk about debt. Because the Bible says, first of all, don't remain in debt. But then it goes on to say, accept the continuing debt to love one another. For he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. And what's the law? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. 
So he's saying, there's a debt that the world is going to drive you into financially. And we've all experienced the pain. And some of us right now know the pain of trying to crawl out of that hole and that debt. But he said, there's another debt. It's the debt that we owe Jesus Christ because he died for us. And when we understand that debt, we begin to love the way Christ loved us. And when we love like that, then generosity becomes a huge part of our lives. And I've got to tell you what that means. That means everything changes as a church. Because I love what Sherwood Oaks has done, uh, and I remember the meeting when we decided, you know what, we need to crawl out of the hole of debt. And we really need to go with that whole unleashed, because when we do that, then we can do the things that you just saw. You can truly generously help orphans halfway around the world, people that you may never see. You can do that when you get out of debt. And we can do that as individuals. Let me give you an example of how powerful that principle is. Maybe some of you, where would that little thing go? I just had it sitting here. Well, how many of you have ever uh, gone up to the counter and seen the five-hour energy drink? Have you ever seen those? Yeah, here it is. Um, the creator of this, I want to give you his name. He's from India. He's actually now the wealthiest man in India, Manaj Burjava. Now, here's what's interesting. He developed this back in 2004. He got it on the shelves as quickly as possible. Do you know what he's worth today? $4 billion. That's a lot of energy drinks, okay? He has a 90% share of the market on these quick-hitting energy drinks, okay? And, and we can hand these out before every sermon if that's what we need to do. <laughs> but here's the coolest thing about this. Uh, I was watching a documentary on him. And he is an amazing human being. He has developed ways that he wants to make a huge difference in the world. One of his inventions, it's amazing, he's got this amazing team working, is he's found a way to convert seawater into drinkable water. And uh, they're going to take this all over the world, this concept. He's found another way that you can, I showed this, this amazing contraption, where you, you can get on there and you can bike for one hour, and it provides enough light in your home for 24 hours. And they're moving that out all over the world. Now, you'd say that costs a lot of money. It's over $3 billion that he's invested. Matter of fact, he gives away 99% of everything that comes in. Now, here's what he said. Talk doesn't help someone act out of poverty. Awareness doesn't reduce pollution or grow food or heal the sick. That takes doing. In other words, quit talking about it. Take whatever resources you have, and you do whatever it takes to reach those that are in need. And that's what we're called to do as a congregation. I really think there's a misconception sometimes. I think when we send that offering plate around, I really think that there are people who think that's going back in the minister's pockets. I seriously think that. Or that's just going so the church can keep the lights on. Folks, that's not, that's not what it's all about at all. It's all working together so that we can truly make a difference in people's lives, a huge impact in people's lives. Um, I'm a little sensitive in this regard. I'll be honest with you. So if you think, hey, you're talking like somebody who's sensitive. Okay, I'm sensitive, okay? Here it is. Um, it bothers me sometimes when I talk to folks that know nothing about Sherwood Oaks. And as soon as I say I'm a minister at Sherwood Oaks, I can see by their face. And they'll, they'll say something like, oh, Sherwood Oaks, you know. 
and I'm, I'm Christian. I've only punched one person in my life, you know, but I'm like, and I, I'm really, I'm always nice, and they'll say, and I had a guy even a couple years ago is kind of got in my grill, and he was obnoxious, and he said, oh, Sherwood Oaks, six flags over Jesus, and I just kind of, you know, I held it together, you know, and, um, and uh, I said, well, that's interesting. I've heard that before, by the way. And he said, or the country club on the hill. And I, he was just really wanting a fight. And I said, you know what's sad is I don't know you, and I don't know what your interests are, uh, but you're, you would be frustrated if I assumed some things about you and I don't know you. He goes, yeah, that's true. I'd be, I'd be upset. And I said, here's the thing. You're assuming something. You have no idea what you're talking about. Because that six flags over Jesus, you have no idea what they've been able to do to help countless people, not just in Bloomington, but all over the world. But you've got your opinion, and that's, that's great. And there are people, when they see a big church, they just assume it's all about themselves. Folks, I wish you were just there, just an average week at Sherwood Oaks. I wish you could see how many rooms are being used, how many community things. Are, I mean, it's just endless. Uh, Donna's here, uh, Donna Pruitt, and she'll tell you you should just sometime go into Donna's office, and she'll open up her computer and to see every room that's being used all the time. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you, it's just unbelievable. One week will go by, and we just take for granted, like CareFest, uh, something like that will blow through, and the next thing you know, they'll do something else. Now, are we a perfect church? No, we're not a perfect church. But I'll tell you what we're doing. We're doing everything we can to not just get out of debt, but to help people. There's a task force right now, and I'm really excited about it, and they are looking at powerful ways to make community impact. And I don't mean just uh, providing food, which I think is important. I mean, they're, they're talking about ways to provide help and assistance for orphans, ways to provide help in the foster care system and in the adoption. I mean, they are getting down in some areas that are hard, but they're willing to do that because they believe in community impact. This whole idea of a mission site or multi-site, I want you to think about that. So many churches would never attempt what we're doing right here. Because is this easy to do every Sunday morning? It's not. But they're willing to step out in faith. And do you think this will be the last multi-site? No way. I'm working on a team right now. It's called Street Pastors. And uh, the goal is within six months, our goal is to, to form a group of seven or eight churches. And we want to provide every weekend at least one weekend night from 10 to 4 in the morning street pastors that will be right there on Kirkwood and go from around to all the bars and everywhere and do everything we can so that we don't have another girl that turns up missing or another girl or a woman who's murdered or who knows that we can't prevent rape or whatever that is, but to put ourselves on the front line. That's what God has called us all to do. He said, when you get out of debt, and when you work together, amazing things can happen. Amazing things are in store for us here on the west side. I truly believe God's going to lay on our heart ways to continue to reach out to the Crescent community through the Fairview School. Uh, we're working with Camp Hunt. We're working hand-in-hand hand right now. We're trying to, even as we approach the holidays, we want to reach out to our veterans and find out ways that we can minister to them. Folks, we have so much ahead of us, and it all comes down to, I hate to say this, how we prioritize money. It's how we prioritize how we use our money. What's amazing, and I, I want to close with this, is uh, there's an amazing church in the New Testament, and it's the Macedonian churches. And what Paul is talking about, he said, I want you to know that there was a group of churches, 
And they had no money, very little money. But here's what they did. There was a huge need in the Jerusalem churches, and they all came together, and they gave us so much, it incredibly just blew us away. And he put that church up as a model for all churches. It's for us. So I want to close today with verse 7 of 2 Corinthians 8. It says, But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, knowledge, in complete earnestness, in your love for us, see that you also excel in the grace of giving. Now I want you to think about this. Let's, let's fast forward 50 to 100 years. And folks are talking about what's going over here on the west side. What do you want people to say about the west side? What do you want, pardon the pun, what do you want the west side story to be? What do you want it to be? Uh, wow, that place had the best biscuits and gravy I've ever had. You know, I mean, is that, is that it? I mean, you, you can't believe this place. They set this place up. They had coffee. Hot, they had prayer in a bar. They pray in a bar. I mean... What is it we want folks to say 50, 100 years from now? You know what I hope they say? I can't explain it. They gave, and they gave, and they gave. And there were needs, and there were challenges, but they just kept coming back. They just kept giving. What an incredibly generous church. That's what I hope people share. And that will never happen unless we step up and do it. That story will never be told unless we're willing as a congregation to step up and excel at the grace of giving. It's the greatest challenge for all of us. Now, here's the deal. You can't do that if you're in debt. You just are going to have a hard time. So all of us are responsible to one another to get our lives in order, to get our bank accounts in order. Why? So that we can help those who desperately need us. Man, God's good. And I can't wait to see what the next chapter is going to be. We're going to stand up here, as we do every week, to have an invitation. And there may be somebody here that this is a time that you want to accept Christ as your Savior. There may be some of you here that you want this to be your church home. Uh, Cammie's here. There may be some of you that you just need to pray because this is a hard part of all of our lives is the money. Let's stand. Let's mm -hmm. sing.